There may be no reality, but certainly this is not it. This is some kind of highly provisional, culturally sanctioned hallucination that we are all participating in. And whatever it is, uh, it yields ultimately to non-entity. I mean, our realities are sustained by our being. And from looking at what happens to other people, we know that eventually we get laid into the cold, cold ground. And then what is your reality worth? So reality, whatever it is, is temporary and yields to uh, non-existence. That seems to be the primary ground of being. Yeah,
this will lead you into deep error in most human situations. If you prefer the simplest explanation for what's going on, you'll never understand what's going on. When you see two people and they're falling in love, if you assume they're falling in love because they like each other, uh, you're probably missing the fact that one just inherited ten million dollars and the other is a rat.
return of the means of production to the workers and so forth. So these are Marxist means. Well, I define language so broadly that it can be visual. I mean, what it is is it's 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 the signifier for cognitive activity. And I don't want to get off into this kind of linguistic vocabulary about this stuff. But but language means dance, sculpture, painting, poetry, song. Uh, it it means cognitive. Activity. I mean, this is the glory of our species. This is what we do so much better than whoever's in second place. I mean, I guess the gorillas and the dolphins are a mile and a half behind doing whatever they're doing. But I just don't buy the notion that there is any other species on this planet, with the possible exception of mushrooms, that is involved in this language-making enterprise in quite the way we are, and it's how we escaped the uh, iron constraints of organic existence. Uh, we, culture is a kind of environment that we have learned how to interpose between ourselves and whatever is really out there, and we don't know what it was because we invented culture 50,000 years ago, and nobody's seen anything else since. But there was something there that was so frightening and so alarming to us that we invented culture as a membrane that we would place between ourselves and it. And then there have been other membranes invented since. Urbanization. Let's all crowd into cities and jabber to each other. That will hold it even more at bay. And so forth and so on. I mean, we really behave as though we fear something tremendously um, toxic or, or um, something which has a dissolving force over our being that lies beyond the frontier of language. And this relates to the ego. The ego is this cultural invention that we have created. People don't need egos. I mean, you need one in this culture because everybody else has one. And so you have to use yours to navigate through it. But it's not a necessary concomitant to being human. Uh, we could operate without them. But somehow we became traumatized by the experience of raw, unlanguaged nature. And we created this strategy. And it's no different than... Some creatures create nests underground, and some creatures coat themselves in toxic stone. We also did that, by the way, <laughs> because we, there's something that has to be held back and suppressed that's very alarming. You can see, you're, 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 you
there are two ways that a species can be successful. It can either evolve into an unoccupied niche of some sort that it then can tenaciously take hold of, or it evolves strategies for generalizing its existence so that it can occupy all sorts of niches. And this is what we've done. And when you look at the two possibilities, you see that creatures which follow the maximized adaptation to a single niche strategy usually become um, blocked. Cockroaches are a good example. Evolutionarily, we could say that they are tremendously successful, but all they do is persist. They haven't modified or changed themselves in 150 million years. 
but it may be that nature operates in an entirely different way. This harks back to our discussion of Platonism. Nature may have a kind of viewpoint in eternity. Nature may actually see what needs to be done and can plan on a scale of a million or a hundred million years so that well, this is slightly a field, but it keeps coming up, so it's worth talking about. Uh, every body in the solar system, all of the inner planets, all of their moons, all of the solid bodies that orbit around the gas giants in the outer solar system, every piece of rock in the entire solar system has just been hammered to pieces by asteroid and planetesimal fall. And we prefer not to think about this. Uh, as recently as last January, and what's called an Apollo asteroid crossed within a half-lunar distance of the Earth. This is hair-raisingly close. And there's this crater out in Arizona. It's only 50,000 years old. Whatever came down there was only about 30 feet across. And everything within 800 miles died instantly when that thing came down. There's a scar on the Canadian shield larger than the crater Copernicus on the moon. Now this crater is uh, over a billion and a half years old. The point being, the universe may be a fantastically chaotic and dangerous place. And so our cheerful model of what biology is about is that, you know, we have we've evolved over a billion and a half a billion years more and there's no hurry and it's all fine and man has thousands of years to work out the problems of civilization and so forth and so on. But it may actually be that nature senses some kind of danger and that a species like ourselves is a response to this danger. Our most astonishing 